Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got Mr. Rick Hyatt, Adam Davis, Tom Bailey, Dave Pryor. I should be here. And our special guest this week is the overtime manager, Mark Cooper. So let's all settle down. Have a cup of tea or a gin and tonic. And we'll see what the manager of Yobotan's got to say to us. Sing a song about heartbreak. What do you know about the sweet taste of sadness? I got a name for each one of my headaches. What do you know about the thin line of madness? I need a new part of new lines. Anything if it's good for your head. You can donate your heart to science, but it won't break your back. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And as always, that voice that you can hear to kick things off is Mr. Adrian Hopper. AD, good evening. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, listeners. Hope you're looking forward to a good show. Joining us on the pod this evening is Mr. Tom Bailey. How you doing, Tom? Good evening. Very good, thank you. Excellent. Ricky Hyatt's here. How you doing, Rick? Ah, all the better for speaking to you, my friend. Oh, you're too kind, my friends. You're too kind. And uh, joining us this evening, we are very, very delighted to have Yeovil Town manager, Mr. Mark Cooper, joining us. How you doing, Mark? All good, thank you. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. You sure? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Before um, we go into it, I'm delighted to say as well that uh, just at the last minute entering is Mr. Adam Davis. How you doing, Adam? Evening, all. Evening. Evening, Adam. Good to speak to you. So, Mark, as you can see, there's quite a lot of people on the on the podcast to uh, to ask you questions this evening. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I don't know if Aidy's spoken to you off air, but how we tend to run our podcast is we have two a week and we go through a little bit of all things Yeovil Town and then we have a little chat about general football goings on. Um, yeah. Before we do get into the Yeovil chat, um, obviously you're a very busy man managing a full-time football club. Do you get much of an opportunity to watch uh, more general football? I do, yeah. I... Um... I enjoy watching a sort of varied, different. I, I like German football at the minute. I'm I'm into German football at the minute. Whether that's because they've taken Harry Kane, but Italian, I love it. Love all of it. So on a Sunday, I would prefer to watch a Spanish, Italian, German game than I would an in, a Premier League game. So excellent! I was glad yeah. to hear it. We have got quite a lot of. Um 
football perverts, if you will, uh, yeah. on this pod. Tom Bailey, I'm looking at you. Excited to hear that Mark Cooper likes a bit of football on the continent, Tom. A man of culture. There you go, Sue. <laughs> um, would you be happy to declare whether or not you have a favoured football team, shall we say, in the English top flight, or would you not be willing to disclose that? They're not in the top flight. I've got two teams. That okay, go on. So, obviously, my dad played for the legendary Leeds team back in the 60s, 70s. So, obviously, I grew up, well, until uh, I was eight years old in Leeds, and obviously used to go and watch dad play for Leeds. So, I've got a I've got a fondness and um, an affection for Leeds United, um, but I, the main part of my, from eight to well, teenage years. You might split the room now, depending on what you're going to say. <laughs> I was a mad Bristol City fan. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. You can get away with that. <laughs> My dad was manager of Bristol City, and I, I went to every home game, home and away, for about five years. Didn't miss one. Bunking off school without my mum knowing, dad smuggling me in the boot of the car <laughs> from school to get wow. me on the team team coach. Just I just graceful. loved it, and I I was obsessed at that time with just watching sort of my dad and and Bristol City at the time. But um, yeah, so Bristol City follow always followed closely, and and Leeds United. Okay, Rick is, Rick is sinking in his seat. I mean, I yeah, mean he'll, you... he'll get away with Bristol City though, Mark definitely. No question. There's only one team in Bristol, isn't there? So that, yeah. that's all right. Yeah. No, we'll you'll... clip that bit up. We'll clip that bit up and uh, <laughs> send that out. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be safe on Bristol City. Don't worry, mate. Um, so I think we've all got um, different questions for you, Mark, as we, as yeah. we go along along the pod. But obviously, um, I think Ada's got some historical questions. But I just want to uh, kick off with... The... Well, before I kick off with a question, I just thought I'd clarified to help sort of illustrate who we are so you may or may not recognize me but i'm the guy that's normally loitering behind paul thorpe when you and him are having a debrief yeah. after the game if uh so just thought, never like, you forget know, the one, a face like the that, one that's though. the one that's looking like a spare at a wedding before i get that in there <laughs> <laughs> um so the way i see it is that your yeovil town managerial career to date um can sort of be summed up in three parts you've got when you first received the phone call to say that yeah. um, we're looking for a new manager, you've then got the second part, which is obviously what happened with the failed ownership, at the, if you want to call it that, towards the end of the season. And then you've got the third part, which is obviously the Martin Hellier takeover and the new era um, this summer. Would it be fair to say that that's a good way of summing things up? Yeah, I think so. I... Um... I, I had an initial phone call, um, a meeting with Scott Priestnell at the start of last season before he made an appointment. Um, Hang on, we'll cut that bit out. Okay. <laughs> um, and it, for one reason or another, it never happened. Uh, and obviously then, then it, it came late. I just wanted to go back to work, really. Um, and I think when I first came in, it was I think the appointment was received quite popularly, in a popular way, and experienced manager done quite well at the level and and the first part we were um, we never really looked like we were going to lose a lot of games uh, we were picking up points and we were never ever 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 going to get relegated 
it would have been up and down, win one, draw one, lose one, lose. But we would have picked up enough points to stay in the league. Up. And I think the I think the statistics show that in terms of the the points per game, um, we were on until the the potential takeover came along, and and from that moment on. Um, I, all my authority was taken away. I wasn't a manager, really. I was just a puppet. And I think that tarred some of the Yeovil fans' view of me. And I think they were helped with that view. But um, unfortunately, I was tarred with that. And I thought that was quite harsh. But now I think now I'm trying to rebuild and, and show that um, what I can be and, and trying to to have a successful season I'm convinced we'll do that but you know it's like it always takes longer to build that relationship back up than it does to lose it what's sort of um, I think is the main takeaway from the supporters and we've spoken about it a lot on this podcast so far this season is that it still feels a very unique situation that the fact is the hard fact is that Yeovil have been relegated but with the hellier ownership coming in at the time than it did the summer has not felt like a relegation summer at all if anything it's felt like a promotion summer and has it kind of felt like that for you i think it's, it's been a freshness to it and it was like um i mean everyone was saying to me a month to go before the end of the season get out because you don't want a relegation on your cv you know, you need to get out of there. I turned a couple of jobs down six weeks, eight weeks before the season finished. And I just felt a loyalty to, to like, to, you know, to, to make sure the club survived because we were in a precarious, you know, position. I felt a loyalty to the players um, and I wanted to stay. And then this ridiculous scenario happened where it was the most surreal experience I've ever ever been involved in in football. Um, and I'd, I'd bumped into Martin during that time and had a really positive conversation with Martin. Um, and obviously then, then he managed to get the club and, you know, he just said, over to you, get on with it. You know what you're doing. And uh, he's, you know, he's fortunately, he's let me get on with it. With that in mind then, Mark, so was it was it very difficult not to decide to walk away? Did you kind of have conversations with yourself over and over again about what was right for you during that time? Yeah, but I've very, very rarely walked away from, from any sort of challenge in football. Um, and you know what it's like, ego, oh, no matter how much your hands are tied behind your back, I still think I can keep them up, but from from the changeover, it was it, we were doomed. Um, the more I look back at it, we all made mistakes in that period, and it, and like I say, that probably tarnished my sort of reputation with a, a percentage of the Oval fans, and I understand that. And and like I say, um, I, I want to try and rebuild that if I can. But the only way to do that is by keep winning games. Seven one, preferably. Yeah, be nice, <laughs> wasn't it, every week? Yeah. There'd still be a few that would moan at that, though, Hayley. Yeah, I expect so, Mark. I expect so, yeah. 
Um, I want to talk. I want to touch quickly on the the recruitment side of things, Mark, because we've spoken about it a lot um, on this podcast over the last few weeks. Well, mainly during during the summer, whilst none none of the football was getting underway yet. That with that new freshness that's come in, and the and I wanted wanted to ask you if from the recruitment side of things has there been too much of a difference between National League and National League South? Because from our point of view, it seems as though that the players that you brought in, if we were still a division higher and we didn't get relegated last season, we'd still be saying these players are really decent players for the level that we're at. So have you found that it's been difficult to adjust your um your recruitment strategy based on what division we're in or have you actually found that it hasn't made too much of a too much of a difference in that respect i think we wanted to put together a squad that was capable of mounting a promotion challenge um and that's that's what i set about to do with some experience certainly in the forward areas where i knew we could we would score goals because that's where we were severely lacking last year we we just didn't score enough um and I think there's always a part where when you sign a new group of players, there's always going to be a period where it's going to take a little while for, for it to completely gel. And I think we're still still in that period. But I agree. I, th- I think we've got some players that are certainly the level above and we've got one or two that, that are the level above that. And I was just fr- frustrated last year that towards the end, I didn't, get too much say on the recruitment you know I you know I there was a group of players that I signed and there's a group of players that I didn't and um stand by on the majority they're the ones that I signed and listen you're always going if you sign 12 players they're not all going to work out in in any in any club but it's about making sure trying to get as best you can that the majority of them do and I think so far we've done that Mark, looking at the looking at the the squad that you've got now, bearing in mind you know you've got a new owner, um, was it difficult to recruit the, the squad that you have to keep within the sort of uh, financial boundaries that Martin had obviously set you? Yeah, I think I think that there'll be a common misnomer about how much we're actually paying players, but we have a we have a big attraction is the size of the club for the level we're at. You know, and players want to come and play in front of big crowds and for a big club, and and be at a club where they know they've got a chance of winning some games and getting a, a possible promotion on their CV. So, our pay our players for the level we're at get paid a decent amount, but by no means are we astronomical or unsustainable. We've done it. We've quite we've we've tried to do it quite, you know, to to a way where we can afford what we're paying. In terms of the start that we've made, um, Mark, um, I'm sure that you're going to say to me that you don't look at the table until at least Christmas, which is fair enough. Um, but in, I say in, in, in terms of the start, it's I think I make it three, point, three points off the top of the table as, as things go. Um, are you happy with, with how things have looked in the opening six games, I think it is, on the whole? Uh, we've played nine league games, haven't we? So I'm content. Is with... it nine? Blimey! Yeah. yeah, I'm content with. I had the six upside down. I do. Apologize. There you go, mate. <laughs> it's them glasses, them new glasses. Yeah. Put them on the right yeah. way around. Um, I'm content with where we are. 
but you always want to have more, don't you? And I, the start, where you know, the first game was such an anticlimax, but we have such an expectancy to deal with that can weigh heavy on some, um, and it's about trying trying to throw the shackles off. And I know people will talk about oh, the team plays plays too many sideways, backwards passes, and and, and this. And I, I understand that, but but when we play at home, a lot of teams just come and sit on the edge of their own box, and we have to try and draw them out. So we have to play some some passes to try to try and draw the opposition out. So we got off to a rocky start at um, Hemel, didn't we? Um, we disappointed a massive following there, which. We took some flack for, rightly so. Then we had to bounce back, and we've we've played a lot of home games and looked re- really strong at home. And and the two games we've lost have both been on 3G pitches. So that tells you where we've got to be better. We've got to try and find a way for when we play on the 3G um, to make sure we're consistent on that as well as we have been on the grass. You mentioned about the 3G pitches there. Obviously, it's it's well documented about like you just touched on there the defeats that have come on the road at those grounds um is it difficult to really prepare the team differently in any way for those kind of games like is there anywhere that you can i don't know go in the local area to just try and get a feel of of being on those 3d pitches or is it not really as simple as that well, we've got a 3g pitch next door to us like right next door but the problem we have is that every 3G pitch in our league is totally different. Mm. All, so they're not, there's no regulation. So you'll play on one that's like a, just a flat carpet that has no shock absorber under it. Then you'll have one that's got a long thread and is full of black crumb. So they're all totally different. But it has to be a no-excuse culture for us, which is what we try to implement is... We have to find a way. However, whatever we do, the next time we play on 3G, we have to find a way to get a result. Um, and that, obviously, luckily, we're not we're not on 3G for a while, so it gives us plenty of time to to sort that out. But yeah, I mean, I I don't like them as and make no bones about that. We have to play on them, and I understand why teams have them. It's purely financial. But I think when you're playing in such a prestigious setup as the National League whether that's north or south, the pitches should be grass. Pitches should be grass. And, um, yeah, so that's where I am with that. Just going back to you saying about the the start that the the team have made, obviously you've had success and tasted promotional success in your career to date. With those successes that you've had previously, has it necessarily always been a fast buckling start or one of those things that the team just gets better and better and the season progresses? And mm. like you say, it's still very much early days in this division, so no reason why you know Yeovil won't even kick on even further in, say, six weeks down the line. Yeah, I think it's just about being consistent, really. Um I think what what I've certainly found and the games we've played that teams lift their lift their performance individually they turn up especially when they come to to Uish and when they see the following that we take away straight away the opposition lift their game because they're thinking well if I play well today I might get a move to Oval 
So we have to deal with that as well as we're not just playing a team that would play, you know, another team in our league. We're dealing with the fact that they come into the biggest team in the league and they're going to raise their game. But I think that will start to wear off as we get into the winter months. Uh, it won't be as an appealing place on a Tuesday night when it's chucking it down the rain. You know, and I think it will become not easier, but I think it'll be more... <clears throat> I think I think we'll go on and get r bigger runs of, of wins. Yeah, Tom, um, you've commentated on a lot of the games so far this season and you've commented on the fact that one of the main differences, one of the clear differences that you can see so far this season is the fact that we have now kind of cracked that goal scoring and got goals not just in the front line but also around the pitch as as well and you've been impressed with that side of things so far this season oh yeah it's been miles better C compared to last year where you could have played the game until well midnight next week you wouldn't have scored whereas this year we've got goal scorers we've got players that fit the mold of the team and players that want to be here as well it you mm -hmm. can tell night and day the difference between the summer recruitment and the recruitment that you were given um even the western supermare get like going to it up in that sort of time frame like me and dave were both there we couldn't believe we're like two goals in three minutes i don't think i've seen that as a yeovil fan well not in my memory anyway so it's been great to see goals coming back and it's nice to see that we're capable of it and goals win games you mentioned, Mark, about um, obviously some of the fans' frustrations with um, you know, sideways passes, bits and pieces and things. And I guess for obviously what I can say, being, being a Yeovil fan, and we all are, is that I guess a lot of the stuff that comes out from supporters, particularly at the moment, is because Yeovil have found themselves in such a downward trajectory for, yeah. what, 10 years possibly? We, when you first came into the club, could you see that there was a, just a feeling within the club that you could tell that there was negativity? Not necessarily because people wanted it to be negative, yeah. but just because where the club has found itself and that almost kind of made the challenge even more exciting to try and turn that around yeah. because there's certainly something here at this club. I, I didn't see it from the outside, but once I got onto the inside, you could feel the, the years of demise and the years of drifting and, and negativity and, and that's what I was going to say it's I think we're trying to turn around like we're, we're trying to it's a runaway train where it's just been season after season of dismay and dissent and disappointment from the fans and I think that's difficult to change overnight mm. I think some people go to the football at the moment expecting to be disappointed and if they're not I think they kind of think, well, we still need to be miserable. We need, we still need to moan, and I think that takes a long time to turn around. I think we and have forgotten how to be happy. I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> and I, I've said to Aidy a couple of times in the press conferences, like, I get it, I, I understand it, but I don't. It's like if you keep shouting at a player and telling him he's crap every week, that player is going to start believing he's crap. But even if he is making mistakes and you think he's crap, which is fine, if you get behind that player and the team, surely that's more conducive to 
getting better results. This is the bit I don't get. I really don't. Some of the stuff I hear, I'm like, geez, how is that going to make us better? Um, and I think it comes from years of, like you're saying, just so downbeat. And I, I do feel sorry for them. And that's why I'm desperate to try and help bring the good times back to an extent and, um, and turn that sort of ship round. Rick, you've been in the in the games um, so far this season on on the comms, and you've heard yeah. just as much as obviously like Mark's touched on there. It is quite astonishing what some people see sometimes. You'd you'd think dropping down, especially with the excitement of the preseason, everybody was expecting every week to have a scoreline like it did on Saturday. Yeah, that you know, Yeovil, we're in this division now. We're the bigger club. We're whatever. We've got an entitlement. We're going to just go out and and roll teams over five, six every time. When you go from a situation last season, when, especially in the, in the latter months of the season, you almost thought, if we can keep a clean sheet, I know it's a cliche, we'll get something out of this game, but that was the best that people were expecting. You know, you'll get a nil-nil if you if you do all right, because we couldn't score goals. And now the expectation is that you're going to batter everybody. And, and one nice thing about um, Saturday, touching on what Mark was saying about the helpful advice that you get from the crowd is mm -hmm. the stand that Tom and I were in was empty apart from the press. <laughs> um, so we so we didn't actually have to hear all the friendly <laughs> advice that was normally being chucked around as well. So, so that so that was quite good. But um, and it is a point that we made in in commentary on Saturday that there were times you thought with the with the side that we had out on Saturday and fair play to you, Mark for going strong again and not doing just enough to win, actually putting a team out that was that should do exactly what it did. That was that was nice to see that it was it was a you know a really strong Yobel team that went out there and did that. But, but there are times last season when if we'd have had a similar side to that going out, then we wouldn't have got the results that we got. I think you look um, at the Eastley game at the end of last mm -hmm. season, Jordan Young, Jordan Stevens, they all played and and we we were brilliant that night. We beat Eastley one nil that mm. night. Then after that, we signed a load of players, and we never. I don't think we won another game from there. How frustrating was that period? Because I think it's no secret that it's not your happiest time in management. No. But did, yeah, it was, was it like banging your head against a brick wall continually? Because you you're asked, asked to do a job, and then it, it feels like you're going in it with with one hand tied behind your back. Yeah, it was really frustrating because that, uh, but. That you know that that's how it was. I couldn't do anything about it. It was do as you're told, and that's it. And I made some mistakes last year. Definitely looking back, would I have done things different? Yeah, I would. Um, but you try and keep stick to your beliefs, your morals, and that. And sometimes it backfires. But it was really frustrating because I didn't think we needed to get relegated last year. Um, I don't think we would have got relegated, but. It might have been, as weird as this sounds, what needed to happen for us to start yeah. again, for us, yes. to, for us to bottom out and say, right, we're going to win some games next year. It's not the level we, we want to be at, but we're going to win some games and we're going to try and bring the positivity back to the whole town and, and the club and, and start building because we have to start again and, and build from the bottom. Do you think that had the... Uh takeover the prospective takeover with the stewardship and whatever have that gone through do you think you still would have been in charge 
No chance. Sort of thought I got that impression. That that, that was clear. I mean, listen, Matt, uh, Matt and and the, and the guys that came in, they had they had their ideas. It was their money, and they that that's bang within their rights to do what they want. And but I knew that. I knew that straight away. And um, but all I you know, I said I think I can help you with my experience, but yeah. not my money. And and obviously they've gone to York and they're doing their thing, and and good luck to them. But we've now got a club that we've got to try and build and. And we need everybody on board. We need certainly the fans are the biggest part, and the most important part, because there's that many of them that if they get together and they've at home on the whole, 90 percent have been outstanding. And probably the reason why we scored so many late goals is that the players feel that support and that energy on the whole. And, and if we can keep that going, then they're going to be just as integral as the players. Do you, do you consider yourself lucky that you've got such a, a go-ahead, a forthright sort of uh, new owner now? Because I mean, Martin Helly has certainly come into it with the way I'm sure every fan would have dreamt of, and it, you know, it isn't often you get somebody coming in like that. I think, I think as a manager, you want to be. I think gone are the days where Alex Ferguson, where he would control the burger van, how many pints were sold. From top to bottom of the football club, I think I think those days are gone. And I, for one minute, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, I've worked under directors of football. Uh, I've worked under some some owners that were really interfering and really aggressive. And I think I think it's refreshing when an owner comes in and basically says, "You know what you're doing with the football side. Get on with it." Mm-hmm. To a certain degree. Now, obviously, we have finance to think about and you know but as a collective it's like right okay your expertise is in the football martin is in business and development he concentrates on that and i think he knows he can trust me to try and guide the way with the football the football side of the club during that time mark did you seek any advice from any other managers or any of your peers or did anyone reach out to you who might have recognized what was going on or was that not necessarily something that you felt the need to do it was just the situation you found yourself in and just a case of doing what you needed to do to to get through it yeah i think from afar people could see what was going on but like i say it's if you put your money into a football club it's your prerogative to do as you see fit um and I've got no qualms about that. It was just my frustration was that I thought I could have helped more with my experience. And I don't think we got relegated. This might be a bit of a bizarre question, and it may not actually be one you've got an answer for, but do you think there was an intention from the prospective owners to bring us down on purpose to then have that fresh start? Do you think that was that was the goal for them or was it simply misplaced uh, I don't think so Tom I don't I don't think that was over there I think they generally wanted to do well um, and and it might turn out that the perceived mistakes they've made at, or made at Yeovil might stand them in good stead at York certainly you know you would think that we all try and learn by our mistakes and York might get the benefit of that but 
I never, I never thought that they were here just going to try and get us relegated to have that fresh start. No, is the answer to that. What about Adam? Adam's based in in York. Have you got anything to say on the subject? Mate? I was just, do you know what, Aid? I was just going to say Adam is actually in a unique situation because he almost has a foot in both camps because he's um, a yo. <laughs> a Yeovil boy that's living up in York at the moment, but I don't really want to put you on the spot too much with that, Adam, but presumably, obviously, um, you know firsthand exactly what things are like up there at the moment. Yeah, um, as as probably the only person that's got any connection to both clubs, um, it's a really weird position to be in <laughs> um, because because I get approached from both sides asking what it's like and I don't really have anything to compare it to as the only person that is inherently experiencing it. Um, I think I think they are definitely taking some of the obvious mis- uh, mistakes that they made at Yeovil. They do admit that they made mistakes there to what degree and whether they claim all of them were their own fault. You know, that's, that's entirely between them and those that they made the mistakes with. Um, but... They are trying to push on. They are they are trying to build something which is which is fair enough. Um, I like the situation that it's gone down. They seem to be happy with where they've ended up, and I'm very happy where Yeovil have ended up. So it's it's a it's a nice position, really. Um, as someone who's able to try and enjoy the football of of both, um, it's it's really nice to be able to sit there from afar for once after living away from Yeovil for so many years and actually seeing a win on the board. I, I've seen what we've seen one winning season in 10 years where we've had more wins than losses. And yeah. given that that's the vast majority of my football experience um, from a viewership perspective, it's a really refreshing start that it was that it's nice to feel like a big fish the, 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 and, and having and having the I think the recruitment, obviously, we, we've highlighted it multiple times. But there's a there's a local tinge to it. I, I don't think that's unreasonable to say. You think about Lewis Williams from Tiverton, you think about Jay Wannell from Taunton and things like that. I, I think that adds to it. I think it adds to the overall experience of, of enjoying being a Oval fan again as someone who, who doesn't get to go to, to games as regularly. And, and I've watched quite a few games away whilst we were in the National League. Um, I was at Gateshead, for example, and wish I hadn't been. And as 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 many <laughs> as as many that were there probably thought that, and, and Oldham and everything else like that. But no, it's yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I the allegiance will always be with Yeovil, uh, but it's nice to see York do well. Who happens to run it has little concern. I think that's fair enough. I mean, Mark, I promise we will we'll get away from this because it, we only really obviously wanted to try and touch base on it a little bit with you, but we're not, you know. We're not here to kind of talk about what, how they're doing now. Obviously, it's very much um, about Yeovil. But Adam, sticking with you, because Mark made the comment there earlier about, you know, sometimes when you get relegated, there is a sense of reset. And whilst I don't disagree with that comment, I guess what I would say that we've spoke about before is the fact that we've had that same view a few times, haven't we? And then the worry is, what league are you going to fall into before everything does start to just sort of steady itself? But looking at the start that Yeovil have made so far, then you can only really agree that a reset is probably what's needed at the moment. Oh, without question. It's, uh, yeah, I definitely remember having that mental conversation with myself when we fell out of the Football League. Uh, and and we had a year where it wasn't too bad, and that was the one winning season. And then, unfortunately, the, the, the decline can 
continued. Um, in fact, I was actually doing some work on it today, that it's the Oval have actually suffered the greatest decline of any club in a 10-year period, one of potentially in history, outside of those that have gone bust, which is a pretty disappointing statistic. No, no pressure, Mount Yeah, no, no that's, that's pretty... <laughs> Plenty, plenty to turn around, um, but but there has been, and it and it's it's definitely looking like it's turning the corner, and that's down to multiple individuals. But of course, Mark is is most notably one of those. Um, it's a really nice one. Uh, there's all you have to do is look at the other clubs that have also on a similarly disappointing decline. Uh, the obvious one goes to Scunthorpe, and you think about what's going on there and all the issues with them. And and we're turning out of this all right. Um, having a reset of owner that has a local connection has definitely helped. Having experienced management and other additional coaching staff has also been really useful. And therefore, it all links back to having a budget that is suitable for the league we're playing in, which isn't necessarily guaranteed. Um, I've worked with quite a few owners over the years that have various different levels of of ambition and what they see as as an acceptable expenditure and, and whether that's reflective or not we, we um is usually mixed but if reports are to be believed and the general feeling that martin gives to us um we're in a good position in terms of the personal side of things mark um obviously yeovil town is a you know yeovil as a town is quite a unique situation really compared to sort of the re the rest of the country really that everything's relatively remote around here obviously you've got experience up at forest greed and swindon so maybe you haven't necessarily found yeovil to be as unique compared to the clubs that you've been at before as a town no well, i grew up i grew up in bristol really the majority of my formative years were bristol i moved there when i was seven or eight and stayed there till i was mid-20s so i regarded sort of the southwest as my home really and this Obviously, it's not far from Bristol, is it? And it's, um, I think as a football manager, it's you go where you've got to go. And I grew up with that, with my family and my dad moving from um, Leeds to Middlesbrough to Bristol. You know, we moved schools and and that's what you do. You you have to move about. And uh, I've got no issues, issues with that at all. I, you know, I enjoy being down here and um, yeah, I uh, getting used to Thatcher's. And uh, it used to be, used to be Blackthorn when I was in Bristol, but now it's Thatcher's, and uh, slowly getting used to that. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's... When you say getting used to that, as in trying some more. <laughs> yeah, getting used to the Thatcher yeah. cider is, 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 you know, when in Rome, so they say. But like going back to the previous point we said about, you know, like the the level and the freshness. It's like when we turn up to an away game now that. The Western game, it's like everybody was buzzing. There was such a enthusiasm. The away support was like buzzing and you could feel that um, that expectation and that, you know, like it was, it was a, we've had a made the three away games, we've had amazing followings. And um, I think there was some footage of me before the Western game saying, listen, make sure we don't let these down tonight. We've done it twice. We can't do it again. And... And I think it's important that they they can trust us when we go away from home. And if if we play like we did at Western for for large parts, then we can keep rewarding that following because it's certainly it's certainly help us going forward. You mentioned about the away games there, and 
Yov almost find themselves in a very unique situation this season because whilst that the fans might ne necessarily see them as direct rivals or derbies because the game most of these teams have been at various different levels and it's not often that I think it was one of the only times we've seen Bath, Torquay, Taunton, Yeovil, Chippenham, Western, Weymouth all in the same division that does that give that extra little impetus to know that you're going to these games particularly the away ones that the Yeovil fans are going to be right up for this and that's hopefully just going to spill over to the team as well yeah I mean we're looking forward to Saturday we I think we've we, we'll sell out that allocation, won't we? At Hampton of 600 and something, and, and I'm sure there'll be more. So we know that we're going to have the large percentage of, of the gate. And then that gives us that, you know, like, boys, come on, we, we can't let them down today. And we've, we've got to make sure we perform and, and get a result for them to take back down the motorway. And um, I think we're enjoying being that feel of a big club. Although it's not at the level we want to be at, but we have that every time we go out to play, we're we're a big club, and that I think we're we're enjoying that, and some of the players are thriving on that. Ad, I'm I'm going to throw a couple of questions over your way because I think you've got some sort of Michael Aspel type. This is your life questions. Would I be right in saying? <laughs> no, it's definitely more Michael Parkinson, I think. But um, we'll, we'll see where we go. Um, Mark, what's it like having a famous dad? Uh, ooh, That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dad was a top player, though. Charlie's dad wasn't, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> it was tough growing up because I can remember... Oh, there was good sides to it, obviously. I can't remember much about my dad playing for Leeds, but I can when he was playing for Bristol City and... Um, but it was, I can remember being 11 and my first year as a under 11s playing in, in Bristol and parents, I can remember a woman screaming at me, you'll never be as good as your dad, Cooper. And I was 11 and I can remember that. <laughs> I can still see her face now. And, and when he became a manager and at Bristol, he was manager of Bristol Rovers first and Bristol City after that, that if you lost a game, you know, you, you'd be open to some stick for the fans that, you know, Bristol City fans, if he lost a game, they, he'd get called a few names. And, yeah, so it was tough. But there's obviously both sides to it. But, yeah, it was tough, but enjoyable. Mm. Um, looking back on your playing career in particular, yeah. um, what was the highlight, do you think, of your playing career? Uh... Well, I I played in a team that won the second division title and I played in a team at Birmingham that got promoted into the championship. So playing in the championship for Birmingham, I things like that. It was there was no real standout of massive cup wins, but playing in promotion teams and you know, I played in the National League when I was 40 as player manager for for Kettering. So I did all right, I think. Mm, that's fair, fair comment. Um, 20 years now you've been a manager, I think, roughly. Um, wow. First of all, I mean, you know, how are you finding it after 20 years? Is it, 
is it like a sort of sword of Damocles hanging over your head that you've got to do it right or do you, do you enjoy every single minute of it? I mean, how does it go generally? I enjoy it. It's getting harder. The job of, of, of a manager is getting harder. I think because of social media and the way society is now, <laughs> if you lose one game, two games, it's, there'll be a certain section, there's an outcry, the manager's got to be sacked. And then that creates, uh, you know, this groundswell and it can be really powerful. And mm. it's so, so difficult that you're trying to manage all these expectations and, and fans, you know that you're never going to please everybody. But you, you know as a manager, no matter what you do, there'll be a certain amount of people that you can never do any right. And that will be the case whatever club you're at, um, unless you win 100% of the games, which is impossible. Um but I think it's getting really, really uh, a difficult, a real difficult role. But I still really enjoy it, perversely. I still really, in, the highs the highs of winning are a man, as, a, as a manager are so much higher than the highs of being a player. Really? Because you're only one of 11 as a player. But as a manager, you're in charge of the whole lot. And you, when you win a game, it's such a relief. Because what you've done invariably during the week has worked out right. And it's a case of, right, okay, survived another week in the job. Mm. Whereas it didn't used to be like that, I think. Looking back when my dad managed, if you signed a three-year con contract to be the manager of Bristol City, you invariably moved your whole family down and you stayed for, for three years. Yeah, yeah. It's um, totally changed. When it comes to coaching... Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm presuming that, that every manager has probably got his own ideas as to what's the the ideal way to do the job and presumably people like Sir Alec Ferguson and the like were, were working along the right lines even if they weren't necessarily responsible for the what, what went on with the coaching. But um, I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment about uh, Eric Ten Hag because which won't give you any ideas as to who, you are. <laughs> who I support. But um, there was a bit in there that really caught my eye that uh, apparently Eric Ten Hag introduced a, a regime at one of his clubs, I think it was 20, but I'm not quite sure, where they had to um, play against nobody. In other words, they had the 11 team out on the pitch and Eric would tell them, this is what I want you to do, and you go out and do it, but there's no opposition, so you've got to do it right. Uh, Shadow play. Called shadow play. Is that what they call it? Is it? Yeah, which I thought, well, that was an interesting Is that something you, you do or would consider doing? Yeah. I think what that does is if you're planning a tactical session about how you're going to play on the Saturday, if you play against 11 opposition, the 11 opponents that you're training against are usually players that are not in the team to start and they will do their utmost best to completely cock that up and make sure they show you they should be playing <laughs> yeah. and not be what they're supposed to be, which is the team you're playing against. So sometimes on a Friday, if I want it to be really positive and a real positive outcome where we're not playing against anyone, but we need to reinforce the positives, we're going to score some goals, then we'll play against 11 mannequins in a shape. All right, yeah. And I've done that before and got beat, by the way. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we do that. But that means that your passing has to be really spot on and the tempo of it has to be really crisp and spot on for that to work. 
finally for me for the moment um <clears throat> what's your feeling on discipline amongst players in so much as um you know ten hag is is certainly going the iron fist as it were uh, at the moment um i'm not saying he's right or wrong i don't know i'm asking you really i mean you know do you approach a slightly more diplomatic way of, of trying to you know what's the word i'm looking for discipline a player I think it's. I think that is getting harder as well because certainly at that level, the players are more powerful than manager. Yeah. Players have so much power. So you take the Jordan Sancho situation. I think Eric's like scolded him about being late for training, and then the player can just go on social media and say what he wants to say. So I think it's really difficult at that level. I think at our level, you have to try and. What I wanted to do is have um, a really manageable squad size so that, for say for instance, this year we have 11 starters and five subs. Obviously in the National League, one above it's seven subs. So if I'd have signed and had a squad of 25 players, that means nine of them are not getting changed on the Saturday which I think then demotivates them. Then that leads you to problems of why am I not playing? I should. So I wanted to have a, a squad size that was manageable where outfield players were, say, 18, not, where you'd always go have a suspension, always an injury. And it's proved m most of the games this season, they've all been involved, which makes it easier to manage and you don't get yourself <clears throat> in a pickle where you've got 10, tw 12 players not even getting changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's important your man management is listen, players if they're not playing they're never happy but you've got to try and sell it in a way where, listen, you might not be playing today but there's every chance you're going to play on Tuesday and I think if you can keep them stimulated, so Reese Murphy Reese Murphy didn't start on Saturday but he knew he was going to come on for half an hour and I think if he knows that he can get his mind set, I'm coming on for half an hour and I'm going to give the best of my ability and the best of me for half an hour. And he comes on and scores a hat-trick. Everybody's happy. I was going to say a hat-trick helps. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's about trying to manage that group and, and trying to keep them all stimulated, motivated, and so they all feel part of it. Yeah, good. Okay. Good answer. Just touching on the, just touching on the uh, discipline side of yeah, things. Yeah, discipline. Had, I had heard... I had heard, he says, through the grapevine at the Noble Town, that um, you do have a, um, you do have a, I'm just trying to read it here. Uh, so I'm doing my research here at the same time. Is that, um, is there a, a set of rules or a set of instructions that you have for certain things? And for instance, that you have one if your players decide to surround the referee, is that something that you would be prepared to disclose or are all your rules so, and regulations very much kept in-house? No, no. So I think what's happened this year with the new directive is that referees, if anybody walks within a five-mile radius of a referee this year, they're going to book him. And it's like, I think it's gone... I know what they're doing. They're trying to regain the power, but it's gone a little bit too far. So we've had some referees... One referee said to me before the game... If anybody comes near me, they're getting it. I said, getting it? What do you mean? Shoot them? Or... <laughs> he said, no, they're getting it. And he brandished a yellow card. I was like, surely we're getting off on the wrong foot with that kind of attitude. 
He went, I don't care, they're getting it. So I think that game there was 30 or 11 yellow cards and there was one tackle in the game. So what I've done, I've banned the players from speaking to the referee apart from whoever's captain. If they do, it's a £50 fine. Of course, the frustration and the passion of the game at times, they're going to react to a ridiculous foul or... But they're, they're going to have second thoughts if it's going to keep costing them 50 quid. So the captain's allowed to speak to the referee and I speak to every referee before a game and say, ref, just so you know, only my captain will speak to you. We're not being rude. We just don't want loads of bookings and um, any issues in terms of suspension. Because if you get five bookings now, you're suspended. But the threshing for a, book or, uh, a booking is has risen so you could do next to nothing now for a booking but five games you still get a suspension so I've had to ban the players from going anywhere near the referee apart from the captain and um, I think you could self have been caught out with that as well haven't you obviously the, a, a yellow card or two for, for you so far this season probably only one only one. The one come on Dave sorry apologies so my yellow card <laughs> you and this is the truth it was against Tunbridge, I think, and we got a penalty. Reese Murphy missed it, but I think it took about four minutes for Reese to be able to take the penalty. Yeah, and I think there was some tampering with the spot as well. So the referee wouldn't let him game. take the referee wouldn't let him take the penalty until it was bang on the spot. So I said to the linesman, I said, Linesman, I'm not being funny, but how long does it take to take a penalty? He called the referee over and said, you need to book him. <laughs> and then Chris Todd was laughing behind me. And the referee came over, gave me a yellow card, and he went, any more, I'm going to do you and put you up there and point it to the director's box. Obviously, they're Billy big time then. Obviously, the linesman and yeah, the referee. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They've been given the power now. Mm -hmm. It's too so much. With, with that in mind, I don't know if you've seen, Mark, that um, Paul Hackenbottom, uh, yeah. Sheffield United manager, he's been extremely vocal this weekend um, about the new directives, uh, particularly with things around stoppage time. And not only did he say it in his um, post-match presser, he said it um, with the written press later in the game, radio, you name it, he towed the line and he's really hit hard with this do you do you have sympathy with him with um with his thoughts have you have you heard what he's had to say yeah, about I've, it i listened to it he said what every other manager is thinking but unfortunately when you say it when you've just got beat 2-1 it's it's sour grapes isn't it now he's saying basically what i've just said to you about the new directive and it's gone too far and there you can't you can't be having 12 minutes of injury time and 10 bookings. And it's at some point it, it has to, it has to middle out and there has to be a common, a bit of common sense. Um, the bit that was interesting for me was that he said the referee was on him, on them from the first period of the game. So you'll see most goal kicks now, goal kicks, two centre backs will go and stand in the penalty mm. area and split to try and play short and you have to wait to see what the opposition does. If they come in to press you, then you have to get your players up so you can kick it. If they don't press you, then you can play short. 
But when they're winning 1-0, the referee didn't say anything about this to start with. But when they were winning 1-0 away at Tottenham, they're not supposed to be doing that, by the way, winning, winning at Tottenham. The referee then starts to book everyone for time-wasting. But they're doing exactly the same as they were when it was 0-0 to when it was 1-0. I think I even saw a quote where Heckenbottom mentioned that the referee was actually telling... Um, I think it was Wes Foddering as a goalkeeper yeah. telling him to play yeah. long. I was like, "What? Yeah. So you're going to start telling the teams how to play the football now?" It's it, it, if that's true, it's absolutely mental. Yeah. I've seen one game this year where a referee booked a goalkeeper for time wasting, and they were losing one nil. It boggles so, the mind. Banana for United got, uh-huh. United got booked for not taking a goal kick when there were yeah. two balls on the pitch. So, yeah. what was he saying? Well, I went to the managers' meeting at. Uh, so you have to go to a national league managers' meeting. And it was at Slab, and the referee, coach or the assessor, was telling us about the new rules. And it was very, very abrupt, very direct. Listen, this is the way we're going, and if any of your players come near us, we're going to book them. Any time wasting, we're going to book them. Any. Um, Goal celebrations, that'll be at least a minute added on. Where do you stop? Where, where, where do you st- so? So, what about when the ball goes out of play for a throw in? Do you have to run and pick it up? Do you have to walk? Are you going to add that time on? It's, it's gone too far. I understand why, and we need respect, but it's gone too far too quickly. Have you had to adapt? Um, to those changes and um, and actually incorporate it within how you train because for instance like you've just mentioned about you know 12 you know minutes that could be added on at the end of each half or whatever and before you know it you're almost playing nearly a full amount of extra time every week potentially so that will obviously have an impact into the legs and fitness requirements so if you notice we've made our subs really early with that in mind so we're making a lot of subs between 50 and 60 minutes because we know the game predominantly is going to be 95, 100 minutes. So we've decided to make a lot of substitutions earlier so that the sub gets you know, a good amount of time to influence it and gives us real fresh legs. We've used, I think we've used three subs, all our maximum subs in every game. I think touched on the subs as well. They've been... Not just been a case of fresh legs, but they've been picked correctly at the right times as far. I'm thinking Jordan Young against Truro. I'm thinking, um, well, Reese Murphy on Saturday. Not that he has changed much, but um, there hasn't been a game so far where I've looked at the subs and gone, "What the hell is is he doing?" They've they've all <laughs> made complete sense. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a change. <laughs> But yeah, they, it's not just a case of fresh legs. They've the fact that we've got the luxury of of having the likes of Maguire, Drew on the bench as well, and and Murphy and Hyde and Newblade all on the bench to come on and influence it is a luxury that not many teams have. So the fact that it's being utilised correctly as well is is wonderful to see. That's and going back to the the squad size and recruitment. I wanted to have you know like a a smaller squad with quality and not loads of quantity. 
because if you looked at our bench against Chelmsford, I think it was Hyde, Maguire Drew, Stevens, Cooper, Murphy. That was our five subs against Chelmsford. And that I think the opposition see that and think, you know, that, that's real firepower off the bench. And I, I said to the players pre-season, like, the subs are going to make a massive difference to us because of the quality we're bringing off the pitch, off the bench, onto the pitch, and they have to be ready. You know, like certainly with Frank Murphy, Hyde. You know, certainly with Murph and Heidi, that they've had a couple of years where they're they've not played lots of games. And and my conversation with them before signing was that I'm going to try and manage them properly. I'm not going to blast them so they're playing 90 minutes Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday it was a case of it might be today you play 60 and the other one plays 30 then on Tuesday it's the opposite way around so that they can get their mind right right and now I'm playing 60 today the manager's going to look after me and then I'm playing 30 on Tuesday and I can really attack that 30 minutes and I think when you've got a strong bench you can you can relay that to them and they they understand that Mark, we're over time, but I've got one question I've got to ask you before you go. Um, Is it about Man United? No. Thank God for that. <laughs> um, it might be about something that he knows about. It's about your son, actually. Oh, God. Uh, when you're, when you're, you're, not at the, you're not at the ground, you're you know, going out to the pub for a drink with him, maybe, or whatever, does he give you any stick when you don't play him or when you take him off too early, to, <laughs> in his opinion? Well, for, I've not done that too much, but... Actually, he's um, he's quite a deep thinker about the game. He understands, and I think you know he was the one, you know, before the Chelmsford game. He was saying, "Dad, you can't play me tomorrow. You have got to leave me out." Josh Hours has done really well. He needs to start. So he's quite level-headed with that. But of course, he'll have his opinions and how long he should play but I think he trusts me to, to make the right decision but he understands if I bring him off I'll leave him out or if he gets a rollicking he was one of the prime ones for back chatting to referees that he had to reprimand um, so you know I've saved him a few quid from his pocket money by not getting £50 fines Charlie if you're listening mate we love you really <laughs> <laughs> Does he get a fine if he calls you dad around the place as well, presumably? No, Jake Ronald's had a couple of fines because he keeps calling me Coops and Mark instead <laughs> of Gaffer. So he, he's had a couple of fines from the boys for that. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark, we've got loads of questions. We could easily have a chat here for yeah, uh, yeah. for all evening. But like AD says, we do have to kind of wrap things up. Um, The rest of you boys, do you have any quick fire questions you want to quickly get into Mark before we wrap it up Adam I'll start with you just putting it on the spot none that are quick fire unfortunately oh, medium size <laughs> a very, I guess a very quick one obviously it's, it's been a while outside of this year that you've you've managed at, at this level I think Kettering was probably the last time have there been for you as a manager are there massive differences between what the national league this the sixth tier was like when you were last managing in it compared to what you see now um i think the south is a totally different 
kettle of fish to the north. I think the south has more football in it. Um, and what what I've, so the end of last season, what I did was I went and watched three or four games from this level because I knew we were getting relegated. And just in case I was still going to be there, I want I went and watched three or four games to try and get a gauge of the level. And and the one thing I take took from it, and I, what I've seen since is every team has got two or three players that are dangerous. So their budget might not stretch to have, but they'll if say Eastbourne they had two really tricky wide players that were took some looking after. So you know every team has got two or three really big threats. Pinky. I think that was pretty quick fire, Adam. Nice, nice one. Tom, better than Tom, I normally do. Tom, one last question for, for you for Mark. Uh, excluding your dad, do you have a managerial idol or someone you sort of shaped your ideology off? I think it's dangerous to try and copy. I really do. But to be a really good manager, you have to be prepared to pinch ideas or as a coach you have to be prepared to pinch bits and pieces not copy pinch um i i absolutely love pep guardiola not because i want to be him or but pete every year he has the best players but he produces the best football and the best team. I think that's a you're real not, you're skill. Not gonna turn up, you're going to turn up with a new jumper and a shaved head anytime no, soon. Then. No, but <laughs> it's, I think it's a real skill to evolve like he does every year. Like, they win the treble last year. And I said to the players before our first game, second game, and that was the second game, that, uh, Man City played Burnley on the Friday night. And they just, obviously, they won the treble. And I watched players like Bernardo Silva... Harland, Grealish, sprint, run like they were never won anything in their lives. And that hunger, desire to keep doing it has to come from the manager. I think it's amazing how he does it. Is that all right, Thanks. that one? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty good. Well, Tom, are you satisfied with that response? Oh, I'm very satisfied, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rick Hyatt, one last one from you. Uh, just a couple of things, and it's not really a question. A mark, couple so things, oh, go on then, we'll allow it. Go on. Yeah, I know, but not really, they're not even questions, so you can breathe easy. Uh, one is, do you have any idea how happy, how happy, how happy you made Tom Bailey by signing Michael Smith? You have no idea. <laughs> this is, this oh, is his all-time yeah. favourite player of all time, I think, and you've never seen a reaction like his when you signed him. It's made him so happy. And uh, just on the subject of happiness, I'd just like to thank you on a, from a very personal level. But um, we were there doing a commentary on Saturday, and it was the only result that I actually enjoyed last Saturday because the rest of them were stinkers. So, uh, so wow. thanks for that. Pleasure. <laughs> My, a quick story on Michael Smith. We tried to sign him in the summer. We were desperate to sign him. Um, and at the last minute, he got an opportunity to go to Cheltenham on trial which meant and they got an opportunity to get Zach Bell on loan from Bristol City, which they, they really helped us with that. And then he didn't go to Cheltenham. He then had an opportunity to sign a financially lucrative deal at Dundee United. And the fact that he's just moved his family to Bristol. 
we managed to nip in right at the last minute and get him. So we've been desperate for him all summer, but brilliant signing for us. Well, t- well Tom knows because uh, Tom's managed him before on his uh, football manager uh, <laughs> Save With Hearts. So uh, he knows all yeah. about him. He was very good as well. And he was just <laughs> as good on Saturday. He was very good on Saturday. Very good. <laughs> Um, it wouldn't be Free Valley's radio if we didn't ask you a really random, odd question, which is just yeah. completely off the wall. So last one from me. Are you watching any decent series at the moment? Oh, yeah, I am. I am, as it happens. <laughs> I'm watching a couple. I'm watching the following, which is Kevin Bacon, 2014, 15. <laughs> okay. Did you know that um, James Purefoy in the following, she uh, lives in uh, West, West Chinook? There you go, then. I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah, I know. The See, I knew we could link well. it to Yeovil. I well, knew we could link it to Yeovil. I've been watching Yeovil a fan. few, yeah. Bang into the loads of series, yeah. Manifest. I like Manifest. Um, and there's a good one starting on the 25th of September on ITV called The Long Shadow about the Yorkshire Ripper. It's supposed to be an absolute belter, so I'm looking forward to that. Try a bit of Bosch if you get the I've even given you Radio Times television to watch, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll follow up with you in a couple of months' time, maybe, and let no you know. No problem. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Um, Aid, one last question from you before we let him go. Um, oh, you've caught me on the hop now. Um, let me just quickly look at my list here. Um, have you got any we'll any up, yeah. one sort of technique of keeping the whole squad? You know, you get a sort of a tense moment for whatever reason. Have you got any sort of um, tension breaker that you can throw in that gets them all laughing and completely diffuses any potential problems? I think, yeah, I think you've got to have a little bit of banter. I think you've got to have a little couple of quick liners, like always something up, up your sleeve from something you've seen one of the players doing, or usually I take the piss out of Alex Whittle. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And like he's really lively in the changing room, so he gets a bit back and all the lads love it. Best way to do it. That's alright. So I just pick on I pick on I pick on the left back will. <laughs> um Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on tonight. Like I say, we could have had we could have gone on for another couple of hours asking you all sorts of, of different questions, but thank you very much for joining us tonight and hopefully maybe you quite like it enough you might like to come back in a in a few months' time, who knows? Any time, guys. Any time. We'll hold you, hear you that, to AD? that. Any time. Any time. Say, don't yeah, ever tell I've heard AD. him. Yeah. Don't ever tell A.D. Hopper any time. Bearing in mind <laughs> that A.D. AD <laughs> Hopper is the guy that texts Josh on a Saturday afternoon about five past three, asking if he can come on the podcast next yeah, week. Well, I knew he was playing, <laughs> you pellet. I just thought it would be Josh, there Josh waiting is for busy. him. He's, he's got a new baby, so he's busy. He ain't got yeah. time for that. And a lawn. He's got a lawn <laughs> for Boy. His lawn, lawn, don't tell me. I know everything about his lawn. He loves his lawn. He does love his lawn. <laughs> He's definitely going to be a groundsman at some point. <laughs> oh, well, um, Rick Hyatt, thank you very much as always, mate. Always a pleasure. Adam Davis, all the way in York, thank you very much for joining us tonight, mate. No, thank you. Tom Bailey, thanks as always. Thank you very much. And uh, Mr. A.D. Hopper, sign us out. Well, thank you everybody for coming on. And thank you for everybody that's listening. And don't forget, next week, football bloody hell.